welcome back to the Forking Wellness Podcast. My name is Sophie Bertrand, registered nutritionist. And I'm Barry Strickoff, registered dietitian. And we are here today with Emma Hanton from Essentially Emma. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. And today we're actually going to talk about uh, PCOS. I feel like you guys actually call it PCOS. Yeah, I I say PCOS, but yeah. Okay, I'm talking about PCOS, polycystic ovary syndrome. Um, And yeah, so tell us, I know that you have an interesting story about your journey. um, And as a nutritionist, where does that kind of how does that make you feel? I know that's the worst question. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to try not to ramble too much on this one because it's been a bit of a long story, but um, I guess maybe I should probably start from the beginning to give it some background because it's taken me a while to kind of get diagnosed with it. Um, and then being a nutritionist as well, you know, it's yeah. been really interesting learning about the nutrition side of it. Um, but like I've always had kind of irregular cycles and everything since I, you know, first got my period and the kind of the thought nothing of it. And like most people, I've been like off and on the pill since then um, for various reasons and not gotten on with one and then taken a break and gone on another one. And I've never really had like a regular cycle. Um, and then I've always struggled with my skin as well. Again, I've been like on and off different treatments with dermatologists since I was a teenager um, and always kind of suspected that like I heard of it probably when I was about 17 or 18 and kind of suspected I had it but um, I wasn't um, I'm very like petite frame one of the things that a lot of doctors look for is that you you know got some excess weight or in a larger body Um, and so I got dismissed a lot of the doctors even when I brought it up and they wouldn't kind of do the tests and stuff on me Um, and then it got to a point I came off um, the pill April last year and like my everything just went nuts like my skin broke out I didn't have a period for like four months I was my hair was falling out in clumps I was like well something is just not right oh, wow. yeah. <laughs> um, and everyone says to you like when you come off the pill like oh you know you need to give it a while to settle yeah down. it takes a while yeah exactly and the doctor wouldn't test me for ages but I finally went in in December last year in despair just like look like I feel horrendous like my skin is all over the place my hair is falling out like I feel so tired and everything um so they did the tests and finally yeah I got diagnosed with it um but it's quite a tricky one to get diagnosed with because you don't have to have all the symptoms to have it Mm. and different people have almost different types of PCOS um so I mean I guess do you want me to kind of go through some of the like the the, symptoms yeah and the criteria Yeah. yeah yeah I think because so many obviously females um sent in questions this is like a much requested topic so I think as much information as yeah. you can get it would be amazing yeah and I didn't realize how common it was either um I think like, it's something one like five? yeah one in five is estimated to have it and people can kind of have it to different degrees like some people might just you know have slightly irregular cycles and you know mm-hmm. not that many symptoms but other people can like I, know, I saw one question you know hadn't had a period for like two years you know it can be really um it's severe um, so the, there's like three main things um, that they look for. The first one is the irregular periods, and that's kind of like the hallmark one. So obviously a normal cycles around 28, 30 days. So anything outside of that, um, particularly um, like amenorrhea, so not having cycles for a long time is kind of the main one. Um, and then another feature is the kind of excess androgen. So those are like the male hormones in your system. Um, so obviously they can check that through a blood test, but it's also symptoms like your hair falling out, your skin breaking out. Some people have like dark hair on their face. And um, those are all the kind of like androgen symptoms. And then obviously polycystic ovaries, you can have cysts on your ovaries, but I thought originally you had to have cysts on your ovaries to have PCOS, but you absolutely don't. And I mm-hmm. didn't in my case either. I do think they changed that um, more recently. I think like when they first, you know, coined the term, I believe I could be wrong, but that was like yeah. a determining factor. And that's like yeah. what the name. But since then they've said, you know what, you don't have to have the cysts, but yeah. the, the name is quite misleading. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they're now saying you, if you've got two out of the three of those, then um, you have it or some form of it. Um, and then they do look at like your weight as well as another thing. Cause it, um, it can be associated with excess weight but they're also realizing more and more that you know it's not that's not always the case and weight isn't always a determining factor so it's a bit of a tricky one and I think a lot of people you know a lot of women may have it even though in one point in their life like you know when you come off the pill most people have irregular periods for a while that's kind of classified as PCOS in some ways so yeah it's a bit of a tricky one to nail down (laughs) yeah definitely 
So it's interesting, though, that you kind of thought that you had it, but you found it so difficult to get diagnosed. Yeah, yeah. And I found I felt like kind of doctors were kind of just pushing me off a bit because like my skin was never super, super severe. You know, I was having periods, but they'd be like every, I don't know, two to three months. So I was having them. And like I said, I didn't have cysts on my ovaries. I wasn't, you know, I didn't have excess weight. Um, and so, you know, you just, sometimes you do have to kind of push for things a bit yourself and do your own research. Mm-hmm. Um and kind of go to your doctor and say you know look this is what I'm struggling with and sometimes it's about just having a doctor that understands it because not all of them do and certainly a lot of them don't understand all the treatment options either which something we might talk about later but you know a lot of them will just say okay you need to go on the pill and that's kind of all they'll do which for some people that's what caused the problem in the first place that you probably don't want to go back on it which I didn't um Yeah. yeah And then some some would just kind of say, okay, we'll kind of just look at your diet and, you know, lower your carb intake or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, there's a few like kind of there are a few different things now that they're realizing can help treatment wise. Um, But, you know, a lot of it is kind of diet and lifestyle because going back on the pill just really kind of masks the problem you know your chances are then let's say you go back on it for another five years and then you come off of it because you want to try for a family mm-hmm. well you're going to have that massive flare-up again and then you're going to have to go through the process of trying to you know settle it yourself so I kind of took the approach of I'd rather do it now and like sort it out now than have to deal with it again yeah, um, totally. I think also it's I mean maybe my experience was different being in America but I feel like when most young teens have bad skin, um, it also kind of coincides with like the start of your period. So things aren't super regular. So everything Mm kind of seems like you're going along the normal trajectory. And then maybe you turn the age where, you know, you go on the pill, which kind of masks the symptoms because it gives you those female hormones that and it kind of uh, makes it more balanced with the androgynous hormones, the male hormones, things like that. So then it kind of puts like, like you said, it just masks the symptoms. So people don't actually know that they are, you know, that they fit the bill for PCOS and they kind of go through their whole 20s not knowing. And then it comes to the point where, okay, I want to try and have a family. They come off and then they realize, okay, you are at a disadvantage for fertility because you have PCOS. Yeah. And they'll, like some, I don't know, I just feel like it's almost so normal to like go through that trajectory and not realize that you have this until it's, it becomes the thing, one thing you want to do is to yeah. have and you don't have the knowledge because no one ever diagnosed you. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's almost such a like typical thing that you reach, I don't know, 16 or whatever, and you get put on the pill. Like, I certainly like kind of felt pressured by my doctor a bit I remember at that age like and I was in America at that point and they were just like okay so we're gonna put you on the pill because my skin was breaking out and that was just like the done thing mm-hmm. and then you know, I was on the pill as well when I was yeah. around that age because yeah skin. yeah um and you don't really know any better at that point um and then like you say you get to the point where you're thinking about having a family or you know wanting to sort things out and then you know especially if you're someone that's you know then left it till you're already in your 30s your mid 30s and there's a bit more of a time crunch you know it can take they say like a year for it to fully kind of somewhat regulate but if you've got PCOS you might then need you know fertility treatment on top of that which can take years as well um so (laughs) us women have to deal with quite a lot I know it's so unfair Um, so how are you kind of managing what have you done or changed since you were diagnosed how have you managed um so I guess maybe I'll talk through kind of like what the treatment options are so when you go see like your GP pretty much as I said they will try and just put you back on the pill because that will give you those kind of regular fake well they're fake periods but hormones out and they're specific pills um called which is the one I was on beforehand called Yasmin which is particularly meant to help people with PCOS but they what they don't tell you is that the withdrawal when you come off of those ones is even more intense because they're such a like strong pill um so aside from that and then really it's so one of the core things in PCOS is this kind of insulin resistance and that's what they think um kind of is at the center of it they don't exactly know what the cause is they know it kind of runs in families but it's quite kind of all over the place and a lot of women have it um but yeah there's kind of all these abnormal hormone levels so insulin's the one that kind of regulates your blood sugar um and that's why the kind of the excess weight is related to that because you similarly to how it is in diabetes type 2 diabetes um 
so some of the treatment options then revolve around kind of stabilizing your insulin levels so a lot of it is similar to kind of the lifestyle recommendations for diabetes which you know is eating you know less carbohydrates or more um, low GI carbohydrates so you know whole grains and things with lots of fiber in them to keep your blood sugar steady um, is kind of one thing with diet and then there is a lot of um, talk about kind of cutting out dairy is quite a common one as well and gluten um, and there's less evidence to support those than there is the carbohydrates but a lot of people do find it helps um, so I've been trialing that as well that's been really tough because I love oh, really oh my god that's so interesting <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so how long do you have to trial it for that you know a good couple months and I started doing it in January and to be honest when lockdown started in March I've not been doing it as much just because like the kind of you know stores of pasta mm. bread and stuff were so low and I was like I'm not actually gluten intolerant I kind of felt bad about buying it when you know there's probably mm-hmm. people that really needed it so I haven't been doing it as much recently I saw like a bit of help a bit of a um improvement but not that much um but yeah it's something you really have to stick with um for that I think um but yeah really kind of it's just like an overall you know the kind of the standard healthy diet you know lean proteins whole grains healthy fats um and then yeah some people find gluten and dairy can kind of trigger it a bit um but beyond that there is some kind of like medication options so I saw one of the questions was about um metformin which is kind of a diabetic medication which they can mm-hmm. um, PCOS as well but that's normally seen as quite a like intense option and they'll normally recommend that you try and you know stabilize your blood sugars through diet first um, but that is an option to help with the insulin resistance but some people don't have the insulin resistance in P- in their PCOS which I didn't so when you kind of get diagnosed your doctor will do loads of blood tests and they'll look at your hormone levels and um, your HbA1c which kind of helps them look at your blood sugar over time and mine was completely normal um, which doctor, like I should hope so you're a nutritionist I was like okay <laughs> no pressure <laughs> I was like, don't judge my HbA1c <laughs> um, kind of the lifestyle stuff that you spoke about and kind of like the balanced meals were you doing that already? So like when you heard that, was it almost like, okay, well, I do this all the time. So like, what else can I do? Or? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, and I mean, I'm a pretty kind of balanced person, you know, I very much follow intuitive eating. And like, I, you know, I, I drink wine when I want to drink wine, and I eat chocolate and all that sort of stuff. So I was by no means like perfect, but I eat a pretty, you know, healthy and balanced diet. I eat loads of fruit and veg, you know, whole grains, that sort of stuff. So I was like, okay so what's the problem I was like do I actually have you know a gluten allergy that I don't know about or something it is a bit frustrating because you're trying to like pinpoint well what is causing this but you know I didn't have the insulin resistance I was pretty healthy already I did lots of exercise it's it's just super frustrating um so especially when it's you know things like your skin and your hair it's you know that those sort of things really get you down you know like if your skin's really bad um especially like in this sort of job you know you're very forward facing and doing talks and things like that you know it really knocked my confidence for a bit to be honest like it's one thing I think when you're a teenager and you're struggling with it because you know kind of everyone is to some extent but I was like I'm 25 (laughs) what have you done with it (laughs) I'm over it um so I actually went to see a dermatologist in the end um, because I was so fed up with it. Um, Anjali Matto, actually, who kind of she does lots oh, of things. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, about a month ago. And so she's put me on spironolactone, which is actually a blood pressure medication. Mm-hmm. But basically, it's an anti-androgen. So it blocks those because really the main symptoms I was having other than the irregular periods were all the androgen related ones. So mm-hmm. it made sense to me that that was kind of the thing I should target um and yeah so she put me on that and I'd asked my GP about it and he wouldn't put me on it and he said it's a blood pressure medication you know I won't put you on it but there's loads of research of it being used in taking it orally or topically uh orally yeah so um they and because it I already suffered with low blood pressure you do have to be careful with it because obviously it's designed for people that have high blood pressure but Mm. if you've got normal blood pressure it's going to lower it um so they kind of like taper you up but um yeah it's basically meant to kind of block some of the testosterone and help with the symptoms and I'm only a month on it so so far so like it's kind of a bit too early to tell really but um I've heard lots of good things about it so we'll see but yeah that's an option but it might be difficult to get through your GP I think it's used more in the states than it is yeah I was gonna say I've struggled with acne my whole life and I still have acne who knows maybe maybe I should also get tested for (laughs) PCOS but um when 
recently I was on like a topical spirolactone. So it was something that my dermatologist, like, I don't know if they made, but it had like, a, it was like more like an in-house label. Of, like, yeah, I was say, I don't have that. Yeah. yeah. So it was like a topical cream. That's why I asked. Um, but yeah, I was never offered it um, orally. So mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a lot more common in the States for sure, as most yeah. medications are, because um, we're we profit off, or the doctor, Obama, yeah, off the medication, so they could prescribe you anything they will. Yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. But I mean, it's definitely quite an intense medication, so I wouldn't like take it lightly. Um, like it really, I've you know almost fainted a couple times. While your body takes a while to get used to it because it really oh. you know drops your blood pressure, um, and makes you feel tired is one thing, but you know there's there's lots of other things you can do as well um so they 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 can also give you if you're someone that's adamant you don't want to go back on the pill but you're not having like the girl that mentioned that she hadn't had a period in two years um it's actually that can increase your risk of uterine cancer because you're not having that withdrawal bleed every month so they will recommend I think it's if you're not having more than three or four periods a year they'll give you progesterone which basically will cause you to have a bleed and so that's something if you just want to you know stay healthy but you're not really to get back on the pill. Mm. yeah yeah um and then sometimes I'll use kind of like a combination of those things as well so like the metformin and progesterone is a common combo or spironolactone and progesterone um so I think it's kind of about knowing your options and you know being educated when you go and speak to your doctor because a lot of doctors still aren't completely clued up on it I mean I was gonna say there's just so much misinformation which I think why we got so many questions is because people don't know enough yeah 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 um and certainly you know not all GPs really know enough and you can go and see you know a specialist endocrinologist but in the UK you've got to get a referral to go and do that um and for a lot of people you know they kind of just see a bit of you know irregular periods as somewhat of a normal thing but um, it's not really to be honest you know they kind of say actually that in women your cycles are actually kind of almost like another vital sign of your overall health Definitely. you know not having and then I, th- I think we had a question about um like amenorrhea um mm-hmm. which is basically just the absence of periods and there are like loads of things that can cause that pcos is kind of the main one that they're all the most common one and um, but you know things like people that are you know exercising too much or like olympic athletes there's um reds which is relative energy deficiency syndrome and in that you you know people tend to lose their periods too so there's a lot of things that you know it can really tell you a lot about your health so it's important to pay attention to it um or even just stress yeah yeah your body will see it as like a non-essential thing to do if your if your energy is needed elsewhere so it'll kind of turn off if maybe you're you need to gain weight to um house a baby or maybe you're too active um and that's not um hospitable environment um, yeah. the body will kind of be like nope not necessary turn it off yeah. yeah and I think a lot of people don't realize that actually as a woman you need a certain amount of um, fat tissue on your body to sustain a pregnancy um, mm-hmm. and so for some people it is just that they need to kind of chill out a bit and put on a bit of weight in order to get pregnant that is quite common um, but for, I guess for people that you know don't know at all what PCOS is basically what happens is your body is failing to ovulate and because you're not releasing that egg you then don't have that's why you don't have the period but of course if you're not releasing the egg that means you can't get pregnant and that's where the fertility problems arise so someone asked I think about you know fertility on it and yes it does affect your fertility because obviously if you're not releasing an egg you can't get pregnant um, and it also makes it a lot more difficult to plan a pregnancy because you generally yeah. have no idea when you're going to ovulate um, and so that's true. quite a short window that you have to kind of yeah. make it happen so let's talk about fertility a little bit more because we did get a lot of questions on that how yeah. I mean I guess like in your opinion slash based on the knowledge you know what advice would you give to someone who does want to try for a baby but is suffering with PCOS yeah sure so obviously you know you're not going to want to go back on the pill that's for sure so you're going to have to try and um, sort out your periods you know more naturally um and another thing to note is for example the spironolactone medication you can't get pregnant on it not that it prevents pregnancy but because it messes with the male hormones if you were to get pregnant with a male baby while you're on it it basically would affect the baby's development. So that's something to consider. You wow, know, interesting. the stronger medications you can't take if you're planning to conceive. So really you are, you know, left a lot more with the kind of like diet and lifestyle ones. And then of course there's fertility treatments that you can do as well. So I would say, you know, 
ideal in an ideal world you know you'd give yourself time to plan for pregnancy to try and you know really focus on eating well sleeping well you know reducing your stress and getting your body in the best place possible and it's not to say that if you're having let's say I don't know your cycles every 50 days or whatever that you can't get pregnant because you are still you know ovulating at some point Mm -hmm. it's just you might not need to be a bit more aware of you know when you're ovulating and that kind of comes into learning about you know your fertility signs and um you know you can track your basal body temperature is something a lot of people do that are trying to conceive obviously you can do it just with a normal thermometer but there's all the kind of cool like bracelets I think it's the Ava bracelet that kind of tracks all your fertility so that could be a good option um as well and then yeah you know if you are struggling then you can can go and see a fertility doctor and there's a medication they can give you to kind of induce ovulation and that tends to work for a lot of people with PCOS and then of course if that doesn't work you can get onto things like IVF and that but they say mm-hmm. that most people with PCOS like they, they might need a bit of help but you know that they can get pregnant which is promising but it's a bit scary thing to be faced with I remember like when the doctor confirmed I had it it was the day before my birthday because my birthday is a couple of days before Christmas and he just called me up and I was on a phone somewhere and he gave me the results over the phone he said yeah you're probably gonna have problems getting pregnant and like that was <gasps> it and I was just like oh you know it's a bit scary oh, you poor you know? thing yeah that's yeah. horrible yeah it's like very yeah. poor uh what is it called doctors like bedside manner like, yeah. etiquette. <laughs> yeah. I know I was like um that wasn't very sensitive but okay yeah literally yeah um, so it sounds like um even if you have PCOS there's a lot of things that you can do to increase the chance that you can hold a pregnancy and or get pregnant and if not then there are other options other avenues yeah. so it would you say that it's just like um just like early intervention, just like becoming aware of your symptoms as early as possible and just managing yeah. those through lifestyle increases your risk of fertility. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, as a woman, even if you don't have PCOS, I think it's such a good thing to be aware of it. Like I've learned so Definitely. much in the last few months. Like I didn't realize that there's so many symptoms that actually show that you're about to ovulate that you can track. And, you know, some people use those alone as a birth control method, but are not going to recommend that at all. <laughs> uh, So, yeah, I think just be aware and kind of know what's going on in your body and know what's normal for you and what's not normal for you um, and look after yourself. Um, There are a few supplements as well. We had some questions on supplements. I saw like if there's anything to help. Um, And myo-inositol is one that's really recommended in PCOS. It basically helps those insulin levels. Um, Chromium is another one. And so quite a lot of them will have uh, PCOS supplements will have myo-inositol and chromium in them. So um, that's probably the one that's kind of the most recommended if you're trying for a baby, particularly, um, or you're just trying to regulate your cycles. Um, And then, you know, I think if you are trying for a baby, it's always a good idea to take a prenatal, you know, while you're Mm -hmm. trying um, rather than starting once you're actually pregnant. um, If you can, obviously, things happen. But yeah, yeah, so I think it's just being aware, really, of what's going on. Would you say those supplements are kind of safe for someone who's been diagnosed to just take or would you recommend them getting the advice from their GP before? Um, In my experience, the GPs don't know so much about the supplements related to PCOS. You know, they might know about some of the medications, but um, it's such a kind of uncharted area. You you could I would probably speak to someone that, you know, specializes more in PCOS. So Mm -hmm. there are a lot of dietitians out there that are PCOS specialist dietitians and there's loads of great content online about it as well um you know instagram and things like that the um myonositol and chromium is pretty safe and i think most people just kind of start it by themselves but i would never recommend actually you know just putting yourself on a medication by yourself because you can get all sorts online these days so i definitely would go either yeah a doctor or a a dermatologist if you're suffering with you know skin symptoms first um, but yeah, if you are, you know, trying for a baby, I think it's best to check with your GP just to make sure it's a pregnancy safe supplement because a lot of things aren't. True. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. True. So back to the cysts, I know that you, that's something that like, sorry, I'm going on a tangent. I just have to <laughs> uh, that's something that you mentioned that you don't have, but for people that do have cysts, are those pain, like, how do you know if you were to have cysts, are those super painful or are they kind of just something that you're unaware about? Um, it depends on the person some people have absolutely no idea they have them whereas other women you know they can be a bit painful because they can rupture and that is quite that is painful um but most people don't know they have them and the way they check they do a ultrasound sometimes I'll just do it over the top of the tummy but sometimes it's an internal one which I had to have that to check mine and it is 
quite uncomfortable but um yeah. yeah that's how they'll check for it and they'll just kind of image your ovaries and see and some people only have a couple some people you know have loads of them so normally your ovary throughout the month it would kind of focus its energy on developing one egg so there would only be, be kind of like one sack on there that would kind of grow and grow and grow and then it would release the egg but in polycystic ovaries there's loads on there and none of them really develop properly um so that's why you know they've got that kind of bubbly appearance almost that's interesting okay so yes yeah, so you might have them and be unaware yeah really, like paying attention to some other symptoms yeah. yeah and you know some people still have you know they might have cysts and they might have a few symptoms but not really have a regular period and that's still actually classified as PCOS but you could be completely unaware that you have it mm. um and you know if if you're not that bothered by it you know my doctor did say to me that some level of PCOS is you know somewhat normal in women and you know it doesn't mean that it's a super severe thing you can have it quite mildly as well so um, don't stress too much about it as well I think. So interesting learning about how you know different people can suffer to such different levels you know so severe or so minor. Yeah yeah I think that's the case with a lot of things and that's also why I think, you know, you need to be quite, um, you know, everyone's treatment plan or approach is going to be so personal because um, th there's actually more research now going on to like different subsets of PCOS. Um, so there's some people saying that, you know, there's that insulin re resistant PCOS, but then some people have more of an inflammatory PCOS. So if you're mm. someone who suffers with like eczema or, you know, joint problems, you know, that could just show that there's some level of inflammation in your body. Um, and then, you know, there's the people that maybe just have PCOS for a year or two after they come off the pill and then it comes back to normal. Um, and then, you know, the treatment plan for each of those people could be quite different. So it's definitely why it's good to speak to someone, I think, that yeah. knows a bit more about it and can advise you based on your specific symptoms. You made a really interesting point as well about saying how some people could be completely unaware. And I think that just like kind of pushes us even more to get to know our own body and be aware of like you know how regular we are what our symptoms are how we feel like a week before we come on and I know that like when you're teenagers you kind of find like a period inconvenient you know you get bloated and like it's just annoying but actually it's such a huge sign of how healthy you are yeah yeah you know most people might find that you know if they've been traveling a lot for example that can suddenly you know delay your period or if you've mm -hmm. been super stressed at work stress or you can need, really impact yeah, it yeah it. and so it's kind of a way of like checking in on yourself really and being like okay like maybe I wasn't you know wasn't looking after myself quite as well this month if your period comes super late um so I think yeah definitely be aware of it and you know some people even if you don't have PCOS you know most people have no idea that for example they have fertility problems until they try to actually have a baby you know because mm. you know you don't know it's one of those things that's quite difficult to yeah, know yeah. if you're working or not um so, so yeah it's I think that looking at your period is a sign of health and kind of that's something that I actually haven't like thought like I knew about it, but never kind of like internalized that for myself. And the, what I've really taken out of this conversation is just like, I really don't like medical ambiguity. Like it really, <laughs> really frustrates me. And yeah. I know like it happens, like worked in the medical profession for so long. Like I understand like, oh, it could be a symptom. It cannot be a symptom. Yeah. Yeah. But like, it really annoys me how ambiguous everything is. Um, yeah. And it just has, you just have to be that much more hypervigilant um, if something is off or if something has changed in recent times. Yeah, um, yeah. It's important to just like note it, recognize it and just not dismiss it. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and that's not to say even if you don't fully qualify for PCOS, you could still be suffering from, you know, some form of irregularity. So you might just have the high androgen levels, which you know, that can still be a really difficult thing to deal with as well, because you might be really struggling with your skin just because of that. Um, and so knowing that, you know, then you can go like I went to see the dermatologist and I, was, I told her I was like, right, like my testosterone level is high. And immediately she was like, OK, you need to go on spironolactone, you know. Um, so just knowing all those different things about you. And it's difficult because you can't just walk into the doctor and be like, can you test my blood for this, this and this? And mm -hmm. there's, you know, so many things online now that offer to do that for you. But I would always say, you know, go to your GP to get it done. And if you, you know, are exhibiting symptoms of things, they should test you for it. But, you know, it's not going to hurt to learn a bit more about what those different tests are for and what it's going to show, because um, then you can take them on with you, you know, somewhere else. Yeah, the more you know, the better kind of thing. Um, yeah. 
I guess my other question in this, I know this came up in the question box that we both submitted was around exercise. Um, yes. Because from yeah. my understanding, um, kind of the research says HIT exercise is really good for PCOS because it really helps with insulin resistance. But obviously, HIT exercises also increase cortisol levels. Mm-hmm. And the stress, I'm sure, is not good. So I don't know, have you been advised one way or the other um, when it comes to exercise? I So it's really interesting because I think this kind of shows like a lot of weight bias in the medical profession but because I'm in a slim body I received no advice on improving my diet losing weight or anything like that because you know they just look at you and they're like you know you don't fit that you know that criteria whereas for a lot of people the advice for PCOS is to you know eat healthier and to exercise and lose some weight to kind of improve and that's common even in a lot of fertility things you know some fertility treatments they won't even give to people that had you know are over a certain BMI mm-hmm. um so I didn't even receive that much advice on that which I found quite interesting actually but um yeah generally exercise is advised and although HIIT exercise is really good for improving your insulin levels that insulin resistance like you said it actually puts a lot of stress on your body at the same time and increases cortisol levels so again you know depending on your type of PCOS that could actually be a really bad thing mm-hmm. um, so the general advice is that you know increasing exercise is good but particularly if you're trying for a pregnancy I would say you don't want to do anything I think that's too stressful either um, because yeah. the cortisol levels aren't good if you're trying for a baby um, either um, so I think it depends on your situation but like yoga is really great if you're someone that's really stressed out that might help a lot for you and um, there's a lot of interesting research into like how those movements can actually really help you know kind of balance your hormones and things like that because they're kind of putting pressure on different organs and stuff I think it's really interesting um, Definitely. yeah so, yeah yeah and um, before we move on to like specific questions just yeah. so everyone knows how exactly do they um test you for PCOS yeah. yeah so that's a good thing to kind of go through so the first thing is they normally kind of go through your history so they'll ask you normally about your periods you know how irregular they are you know when was your last one how often do you have them um they might also just ask your kind of general medical history they'll normally do like your weight and blood pressure so kind of all those normal metrics um, and then, you know, if you so if you've got the irregular periods and then maybe you've got some of the symptoms, so your hair's been falling out, you put on weight, your skin's breaking out, um, they'll do some blood tests as well to look at it. Um, so the blood test they'll normally do, they'll look at those testosterone levels to see if you've got the high antigens. And then they'll look at kind of all your fertility hormones. So there's a few ones in women. So there's your estrogen levels, which are kind of a, you know, pretty standard one. Mm-hmm. And then there's... Um, luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone which they'll look at because there's something the ratio of those um is often off in PCOS and that's what's kind of messing up the ovulation pattern um and then as I mentioned they'll look at you know kind of your blood sugar levels so um normally they'll do your HbA1c to see you know if your blood sugar is struggling um and then sometimes they'll check your cholesterol and triglycerides as well because if you have that insulin resistance, you often tend to have problems with your um, like blood lipids, your cholesterol levels. So those are kind of the main things. Um, and then they might they often will refer you for an ultrasound to check to see if you've got the cysts on your ovaries, which, as I said, that can be either an external or internal one. Um, and then it is quite a long process, at least through the NHS, because, you know, you go to the GP first and then I got referred for like one set of blood tests then another. Then I'd have to go back to speak to him. Then I got referred for the ultrasound. The first one didn't work properly. So I got referred to another one and it took, you know, a good couple of months of various appointments to get anywhere. Um, and then I had to, you know, I booked to go and see a dermatologist privately because it just wasn't really getting anywhere. So it can take a while, but those are kind of the normal things they'll look at um so yeah it's good to you know be aware of those because you can ask them like oh are you going to test this and things like that mm-hmm. uh, so yeah it's mostly it's nothing really too intensive it's mostly just blood tests and kind of your general history yeah the female body is so complex yeah. <laughs> before we get into questions I just want to say like have you noticed the difference like since you've been diagnosed have you made any like I know you said you like dabbled in like the dairy and gluten-free but like do you 
do you feel any different? Has your period gotten any more regular or you're still kind of like sussing it all out? It's it's gotten a bit more regular. I actually had this is probably bordering on TMI, but I had a 30 day cycle last month and I was like, Whoa! Woo! I, was like, I had a 30 day cycle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, high five. So, and you know, some of that is, so I came off the pill April last year and we're now June. So I've been on off it for over a year now and it's definitely some of it was pill related like I had a lot of fatigue in the beginning and like my hair loss has slowed down as well so some of it's definitely improved um and I've also actually kind of cut down my exercise a bit because I think I was potentially doing too much which is very common as well um like I was doing you know sprints on the treadmill and loads of like weight training and stuff so I've actually chilled it out a bit more on that front and and I try not to kind of get stressed too much. But when you work for yourself, that can be <laughs> quite quite difficult sometimes. Yeah. Um, so I've seen some improvement. But, you know, they say it can take years to kind of get to a point where you feel like you're managing it properly. Um, and the medication I'm on, they say, you know, give it a good three to six months before you kind of judge it as well. So you just got to be patient with yourself. You know, your body mm-hmm. takes time to heal with these things. Um, it's not going to happen overnight. So well, that sounds good. That's amazing that, you know. I think it's great that you've kind of taken things like you pushed for it when you know you yeah. needed to, despite people, you know, judging you by your size and saying yeah. you don't fit the bill. Yeah. Um, and it's great that you kind of, you know, pushed and got the diagnosis that you thought you had and have adapted accordingly. So I think that, yeah, I think it's really amazing what you've done so far. Oh, thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then that's what I just say to everyone, you know, you just got to look after yourself and you are your best advocate. So you've got to look out for yourself because sometimes no one else necessarily is going to, to the same extent you 100%. will. 100%. So, yeah. Um, awesome. I don't know if we have any more questions or We not. have a few questions. So some are quite specific. So someone's asked, can the keto diet treat PCOS? Yeah, so I think it's important as well. I saw we had one question on like whether you can cure PCOS. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, there is no like cure for it. Um, It's more management of it. Yeah, you're you are treating it. But really, it's learning what works for your body and managing it and kind of bringing it back down to a nearer normal level. And that's Mm -hmm. not to say that you're you know gonna ever be a person that always has 28 day cycles and no symptoms but you know it's bringing it kind of as as close to normal as you can um and yeah so keto diet um obviously because it's low carbohydrate that can help with the um insulin resistance um but you know keto diets are quite an extreme diet and so i'd always Mm -hmm. be careful with that because you know especially in the beginning they can be quite a shock to your system as well um, and particularly if you are trying for a pregnancy, you know, it's normally recommended to have carbohydrates in your diet and to have kind of a more yeah. balanced diet because, you know, you've got to sustain a pregnancy and the baby will need um, carbohydrates. Um, and there's not really much research into what happens if you're on a ketogenic diet and you get pregnant, you know, because obviously on a ketogenic diet, your body's using ketones as fuel and there's not much um evidence on you know how then the baby uses that so I think yeah. I definitely be cautious with that um definitely you know you can look into reducing your carbohydrate content but yeah if you are trying for pregnancy I'd be very cautious about cutting out carbs completely and I definitely would you know uh, work with a dietitian or a nutritionist yeah. if you have to do so I was just going to say keto diet is sorry is like super effective at reducing your blood sugars because you know you're effectively not having yeah carbs anymore yeah. but it's not sustainable so if you're looking no. for a sustainable approach in the long run you can definitely do a carb control diet or just really mm-hmm. like you said before looking at the GI um, so the glycemic index of food which is like the rate at which it's broken down to sugar into your blood um, but I definitely think that that could be a bit extreme to just jump on the keto uh, yeah. bandwagon especially because um, it's quite hard to get your fiber intake on the keto diet um, yes. yeah. without whole grains and not a lot of people know, but like actually fruit and veg, like they do have carbohydrates. So um, you do have to count that towards. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's so restrictive. It's so yeah. restrictive. And there's actually a lot of evidence that saying fiber and managing a good gut uh, microbiome is also super helpful for managing insulin resistance. Yeah. So you'd be doing yourself a disservice, actually, yeah. or not sufficient yeah. in fiber, but not reaching your uh, 30 grams a day. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of your hormones are actually made in your gut in the first place, so it's really mm-hmm. important to look after that. 
Um, and so, yeah, I definitely say kind of aim for more like a low GI diet. And there's loads of you can look up online, you know, food lists for, you know, low GI foods. But um, it's all still full of, you know, <laughs> yummy, normal food and everything. But I definitely probably recommend that over a keto diet, particularly if you're eating kind of just whatever you want at the moment. You know, give that a shot first before you go and do anything extreme. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So going to suit so you. Yeah. Someone also asked what your thoughts on seed cycling were and if there are certain foods that can help balance your hormones. Um, so I don't actually know what seed cycling is. Do you know I what just like looked at my bookshelf. Hold on. I read this book. I don't know if you can still hear me. Hold on. Yeah, we can hear you. <laughs> I read this book like four years ago. Yeah, um, it's a good book. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like it's a bit. So it's called the Women Code for anyone who can't see, which is everyone, because this is a podcast. Does, and, it, um, does it talk about seed cycling? It, it is not supposed to be. Um, you have certain seeds at different points of your cycle. It doesn't talk necessarily about seeds in particular. Kind of like gives you. Um, so I'm holding up this, and it has a chart of like the different foods to pair. Yeah with um the different cycles so not specifically just seeds but there are seeds so like brazil nuts and that's not mm-hmm. a seed i guess it's a nut but um i don't know i'm trying to see um where it says but i think that the research is actually quite minimal on this mm-hmm. and i think it is as well i think a lot of the stuff there is on seed cycling is quite anecdotal yeah i was just gonna say it sounds really nice to like attribute something to an effect or feel like mm-hmm. you're having control over something but i mean if it makes you feel better doing it then like go ahead and do it yeah. but i actually don't yeah. know it to what extent i think it's the whole thing with like soy and hormones oh, um gosh. so soy <laughs> So it has like um, phytoestrogen, which is like a form of estrogen, but our body doesn't like convert that necessarily to mm-hmm. estrogen, but sometimes it can mimic estrogen because they have the same like or similar chemical makeup. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's actually quite good for people, I imagine, yeah. with COS um, because it kind of mimics that estrogen. Same thing for women who are going menopause. through menopause. Yes. Um, yeah. It's really helpful. So um but it doesn't like increase your blood estrogen if that yeah, happens. yeah. So I think a lot of this there might be like an overlap between. yeah and I think you know it is whatever works for you and you know if something works then you know obviously don't change it but in terms of like specific foods it's more you know kind of like as we said before the kind of standard you know Mediterranean healthy diet um there's some research into you know lots of kind of like those dark leafy greens um can yeah. be good for kind of getting rid of excess hormones in your body but again the evidence is limited on it so I think you know just aiming for an overall healthy diet rather than stressing out about specific foods is the way to go um on the topics of books actually you just reminded me one that I found really useful was um taking charge of your fertility is another one I don't know if we can link that but um yeah we can definitely link it one but it kind of takes you through, you know, exactly what happens. And it's great for anyone who just wants to learn a bit more about their cycles, as we said, but takes you through, you know, what exactly happens in your cycle and what are those like fertility signs and what does it mean if this is happening? You know, it means that you've gone wrong in this way. So it's really kind of good for troubleshooting any sort of problems you're having with your period. And particularly if you're planning a pregnancy, it's a really, really good book to read. So I definitely recommend it. Awesome. We will link that in the show notes. Barry, what's a question that you have on your list? I was just going to ask you the same. Um, (laughs) Okay, so um, we answered that. So we talked about it not being able to be reversed, but you kind of just manage. Um, So there, I mean, we've really just spoken about all of these. I'm just like skimming them. Um, But I guess the only other one is, are there any specific foods um, that women with PCOS should cut down on? I know we spoke about like eating in moderation, but is there anything specifically that is true? Um, so yeah a lot of it's kind of they'll just say it's, it's sugary foods and you know people some people do find dairy as a trigger for them even if you don't have PCOS some people really find dairy triggers their acne so you know I think if if you want to try it it's not going to you know hurt you necessarily if you're cutting mm-hmm. out dairy I would say you know make sure that whatever you're replacing it with so almond milk or something um, is fortified with calcium so that you're still getting that calcium somewhere um, but some people find dairy beneficial some people find gluten beneficial but I normally would avoid recommending cutting out gluten unless you're showing symptoms of being intolerant to it but you know it's your body you can test it yeah. out 
you want but really it's you know kind of those really refined carbs and sugary foods um but equally you know you've got it's to enjoy so, yourself sometimes so yeah it's <laughs> so, so individual and I'm just going to like throw in a topic here how where do you kind of stand on say if someone is desperately trying to not restrict foods try and get a healthier relationship with food trying out intuitive eating but they also have PCOS because if you're saying like you know try and cut down sugary foods or refined carbohydrates that might be quite triggering for someone who's trying to work on their relationship with food at the same time yeah and that's what I have really really struggled with to be honest because like this is like a whole nother part of my personal story but I struggled with an eating disorder um like when I was a teenager and in uni and that's how I found intuitive eating and that's how I got into nutrition so I've always been very firmly in that camp but it's still you know always an ongoing journey for me as well as a person mm-hmm. and getting diagnosed with PCOS has been actually quite tough because all of this advice is basically telling you to restrict, restrict, restrict. Yeah. Um, and that's why, you know, I did dabble a bit in the kind of gluten and dairy stuff, but I quickly found myself restricting too much. And, you know, now, you know, a few years on from that, I'm very much aware of, you know, when things are going down a bad path again with it. So it's definitely a difficult thing to balance. Um, and it's a difficult thing to discuss with your doctor, particularly yeah. In a bigger body because they are going to give you that advice to try and you know lose weight this that and the other and if you've worked so hard um on intuitive eating that can be really difficult to hear so I think you know um speaking to also a nutritionist that works from an intuitive eating standpoint can be a good thing because you know you can introduce I think some guidelines some gentle guidelines um without you know harming your work too much but at the end of the day, it's a very difficult balance between, you know, restricting versus, you know, managing your PCOS and also looking after, you know, your mental health and things like that as well. So I think for me, it was kind of giving myself grace with it as well. And, you mm-hmm. know, um, kind of following it maybe a bit more of like an 80-20 rule and giving myself some kind of looseness with it. But definitely, if you find that it's, you know, causing you too much uh, like mental stress or putting you down a bad path then you know, you've got to look after that too so yeah definitely I also think that you've just like touched on one of my big issues with just like um the way in which um medical advice is worded it's so mm. reductionist like it's saying mm. like put out this do this instead of like building it's all, up they things. make it sound so simple like oh yeah. just you know cut down on sugary foods like I just honestly feel like the conversation around how to treat like nutrition related conditions should be about the things that we should have more of and be modernized instead of saying cut out this cut out this cut out this it should be like build up fruits and veg talk about grains and lean proteins and healthy fats and moderate amounts of Mm. xyz um so I don't know you just touched on that and struck a a struck a chord yeah good point and that's kind of you know when I'm working with clients that's kind of the wording that I tend to use because you know people that are trying to do intuitive eating still sometimes want to have you know goals to kind of reach for or you know they need a bit of structure sometimes to kind of help them because they've been so used to kind of controlling everything so much themselves and I think that's the thing giving yourself positive goals like that because Mm -hmm. eating more fruits and vegetables is always going to be a good thing and you know it's not really a restriction at all so looking at it that way and setting those good positive goals is a much better way than saying cut out this cut out that um, it's, it's again like having that we spoke to Katie about it on a previous episode but just like having that positive mindset yeah. um wording things in a positive way because we're so used to seeing things worded as a negative way and when things are negative we tend to internalize that and put the blame mm-hmm. on ourselves that we are the reason that we couldn't do xyz and it's quite just it's all negative and then it could lead to feelings of guilt and shame self-sabotage yeah. etc Whereas if we have this more positive conversation around it and more positive outlook, I'm sure the outcomes would be significantly different as yeah. well. Uplifting and encouraging. Yeah. Is that the opposite? That's literally that so true? true what you just said about like all the conversations around things like this just being negative. It's like, oh, so what are negative. the what are what are the cons? You know, how's it affected your life in a negative way? It's like, okay, we yeah. you know, we know what it is, you know, how it's how it's affecting people, but let's you know spin it and actually look at the positives yeah um and I think especially when it's something as personal as like your fertility that's at play as well mm-hmm. like for most women that's you know a very if you're someone that wants a family even if it's like five ten years down the line it's going to be something that you're worried about and I think 
as a woman you know it's kind of attached to your identity somewhat and so like when I was told like I might struggle to get pregnant I felt like you know I was broken in some way that you yeah. know my fault and all of this and as someone that you know really wants to have kids like it's a hard thing to hear so I think having a bit of positivity with it um and also not freaking out about it because you don't know that you're going to struggle conceiving until you actually try and I've been worrying myself sick about it but loads of people have completely uncontrolled PCOS and still manage to get pregnant mm-hmm. so think you know don't worry about it until it happens because there's something my mom always says but she's like you can cross that bridge when you get to it you know yeah looking after yourself now and then you you need treatment down the line you need treatment exactly and it's like you know that there are options if you do find it difficult yeah Yeah, exactly there's always options um and you know you're young you've got you know plenty of time to kind of you know sort it out and one good thing is as well um it does tend to settle a little bit with age. Um, so like my mum even had a bit of it when she was a teenager, but she found after she had babies that, you know, it settled down a lot. So for some people, yeah, it can kind of settle down with age. Very really? interesting. I learned a lot. Um, a big takeaway for me from this episode is just like, know your body, be your own ass. Mm-hmm. Um, again, just that same balance and just abundance of fruit and veg and whole grains and lean protein healthy fats that we talk about on every episode and then again just having that moderation and just being able to balance like listening to your body and you know how you're feeling and hopefully it all come together in like a way that makes you feel good yeah yeah absolutely and you know don't be scared to talk about it either because sometimes it's just so good to get it all off your chest like when I first started getting you know researching into it and in my own situation I felt like a like lunatic like I had all of these like theories and things inside my head and actually sometimes talking to someone that's either had it or you know specializes in it it can it just really helps to be heard sometimes I think so yeah don't be afraid to speak up even if it's just venting to a friend who has absolutely no idea what you're talking about yeah Um, definitely yeah. yeah always good to talk to people and like I feel like like support there's no other feeling like feeling supported yeah absolutely yeah so if anyone needs it I'm here you can vent to me on Instagram or yeah so yeah on that let everyone know what your Instagram handle is what your website is how they can contact you yeah so Instagram is at essentially.emma and my website is www.essentiallyemma.co.uk um, and my email if you want to email me um, if it's a bit more personal you know I'm happy to speak over the phone as well but my email is emma at essentiallyemma.co.uk um yeah and I do do a bit of one-to-one work if you particularly want to work with someone that does you know knows about PCOS but equally I'm just happy to chat to people too if they've got more questions that's so nice and Emma also has a delicious page on Instagram with the most aesthetically pleasing recipes (laughs) (laughs) yeah that was part of the reason I couldn't like cut down on the gluten and the dairy as I was like well it's been incredible speaking to you Yeah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I thoroughly enjoyed it, learned a lot, which is, I always say, like, the best podcast or when, like, so I can actually, like, learn as well. Um, And, yeah, if there are any other questions, you can always write into forkingwellness at gmail.com. We'll be happy to pass them on to Emma as well. Please rate, review, and subscribe, and follow us on Instagram at forkingwellness. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Bye. Bye.